first reading is from Ezekiel. He said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. I heard him speaking to me. He said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impotent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Where they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know that there has been a prophet among them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They said, where did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Then Jesus said to them, Prophets are not without honor, except in their hometown, and among their own kin, and in their own house. And he could do no need of power there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and cured them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals, and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, Wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Heavenly Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, who sends us out as prophets, proclaiming the coming kingdom of God. Amen. No prophet ever, upon receiving God's call, jumped for joy. None of them said, Woohoo! I get to speak truth to power. I get to tell the people how their actions have afflicted the Lord. Where's the king? Some, somebody go find him because I want to go tell him that his actions cause God grief. But first, 
Oh, first, let me go to the wealthy landowners. Let me go to those rich people and tell them that the Lord has plans to cut them down. They're going to be so excited to hear that. I wonder, when I flee into exile, will I go longer without food or water? I can't wait to find out. Remember, if you will, back in January, we read the call of Samuel. And after some brief confusion, he gets his first message. And what is that first message that he's given to speak? What saith the Lord? Tell Eli, the man who has raised him, his teacher, his mentor, his guardian, his second father, that God is about to punish his house forever. And how does this unfortunate teenage prophet respond? How would you respond? With fear. Eli has to coax the word of the Lord out of Samuel. Because who wants to deliver a message like that? Or consider the call of Isaiah. As the prophet-to-be serves in the temple, he witnesses a sight awful to behold. The entire heavenly throne room erupts into his word. And all Isaiah can say is, Woe is me. I am a person of unclean lips. When the angel takes the flaming coal and sears his lips, he mutters, here I am, send me. And immediately he's told to prophesy doom and destruction. Ezekiel's call in today's text is not so very different. He is literally knocked over by the divine presence, and he has to be propped up by some type of spiritual possession. He's commanded to go forth, with something like a 50-50 chance that the people will ignore him. So let's push a verse further than today's reading. And you, O mortal, do not be afraid of them, and do not be afraid of their words. Okay, so far so good. Through briar, though briars and thorns surround you, uh-oh, I don't like where this is heading. You live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words, and do not be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And what shall this Son of Man proclaim to these scorpions? What saith the Lord? Words of lamentation and mourning and woe with words of woe to speak to the nation, is it any wonder that prophets are without honor in their hometowns? We've been flying through Jesus' preaching ministry in the gospel according to St. Mark, and what an adventure it has been. Just in the few segments we've read, demons have been cast out, storms have been calmed, people have been healed, the dead have been restored to life, and the lectionary has seen fit to skip over the first half of chapter 5. But let's look back just a little bit. 
After the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee, you remember Jesus calms the storm, says, peace be still. They end up on the other side of the sea, and they're in a foreign territory. They are in the land of the Gerasenes, a land of ten city-states defined by Roman culture rather than Jewish culture. The worship of various Greco-Roman gods was common in this area, as was the official imperial cult of the emperor, worshiping the heirs of Caesar as divine. And here our Lord met a man possessed by the demon known only as legion, as in a unit of the Roman military. This man is chained to a tomb. Legion recognizes Christ and demands to know, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Jesus drives out the demon, because even in a foreign land full of pagan idols and demons, even against the legions, our Lord's ministry cannot be stopped. So last week, they head back across the sea, and they're back in Jewish lands. And a leader at the local synagogue comes to Jesus, asking that his daughter may be healed. And Jesus arrives there too late. The girl has died, but he raises her from the dead. And on his way, a woman simply touches his cloak and is healed of 12 years of hemorrhaging. Because in both Gentile and Jewish lands, in all the world, our Lord worked wonders. Which brings us to today. Jesus is in his hometown. It's homecoming, Shishkumba. And this is speculation on my part, but I think the disciples were getting excited. I think, like homecoming in schools, they were accept- expecting something sort of like a massive pep rally. The one who calmed the storm, the one who drove out Legion in the land of the Gerasenes, the one who raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Oh, what's he going to do now that he's back among his own kin? And they get there. He goes into the synagogue. And nothing happens. Only a few small healings. No major miracles. Not even any new teachings. Instead, the people scoff as if to say, where is he getting all of this from? Who is he? Who does he think he is, that carpenter, to make such bold claims? And someone else chimes in, hey, I know him. That's Mary and Joseph's boy. Yeah, he, he grew up just over there. His dad is the one who built part of our house. I, I think he's my third cousin or something. Yeah, I remember playing with him way back when we were kids. He was always kind of weird. Remember that time that we were in Jerusalem and he got lost for three days? Everywhere else, Jesus is gone. The crowds have crushed in around him, have demanded that he work miracles, and he's been able to, both in Gentile territory and Jewish towns. The seas and even the demons recognize his authority. But among those who should know him best, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary, 
can work no deed of power. Consider your own family. Consider the relatives who changed your diaper. Consider the ones who watched you run around with a cape tied around your neck, a blanket rather, tied around your neck pretending to be a superhero. Think about the teacher who watched you struggle to spell February or to master the multiplication tables. Consider the scoutmaster, the band director, the tennis coach, the people who formed and mentored you. And consider the difficulty of going back home as a prophet, a healer, and a wonder worker, calling your mentors, your teachers, your friends, your family to repentance. How much harder it is for us, we who are so very obviously not the incarnate word of God. How much harder it is for we who have sinned in thought, word, and deed through what we have done and left undone. We who have not, to the best of my knowledge, driven out demons. Those of us who have not restored the blind to sight or raised the dead. How much more difficult is it for us to proclaim Christ's kingdom in our own hometowns? And it's more than just the humorous oddities and struggles of childhood, isn't it? Because for many of us, there's no one that we argue with quite like friends and family, either passive-aggressively or in explosive shouting matches. Looking back on my own life, I consider it a minor miracle that my sister would ever come to hear me preach or receive Holy Communion from my hands. At my ordination, I'm a little bit baffled she didn't stand up before the bishop and list everything wrong I've ever done. Because she and I have made each other cry from grief. We've said cutting words that can't be taken back. We had, as kids, something sort of like a policy of mutually assured destruction. And we would get into physical fights. If I were a prophet without honor in my own hometown, I would understand why. Because my sister, more than most people, has reason to take offense at me. It's our friends and family and the people who know us best who know our favorite vices. They know our greatest hypocrisies. They know our struggles with sin. If Christ's own king would reject him, how much more harshly will our neighbors reject us? How odd it is, then, that following so closely upon his rejection in his own hometown, Christ sent out the disciples. After a failed mission among his own family, as they scoffed and mocked him, Jesus calls the other disciples to him and says, huh, All right, that was great. Your turn. Go out. Don't, don't take any money. Don't take a change of clothes. Don't even take a snack for the road. Just grab your walking stick and go out. Rely on the kindness of others and do exactly what didn't happen here today. 
No prophet ever, upon receiving the call from God, jumped for joy. And I doubt the apostles were very joyful that day. All the same, they went out. They proclaimed repentance, a turning from sin, and the coming kingdom of God. And they were successful. Wait, what? This ragtag group of people with no special qualifications other than the Lord's calling, this group of people who just a very short time ago were yelling, Lord, don't you care that we are perishing? Those who so often misunderstand what Jesus is doing, who fail so frequently, those who are so full of doubts and fears, they manage to cast out demons and heal the sick? Kindred, this is the transforming power of God's grace. In baptism, we have been made new. We have been united into Christ's life. God's grace is working within us, transforming us to be the people that God has always intended us to be, calling all of us into a prophetic role of proclaiming God's kingdom and to do so with honor, not our own honor, but to the honor of Christ's most holy name, yes, even in our hometowns. Despite our own flaws, despite the sin that has damaged so many of our relationships, we are being sent out to be the body, to be the hands of Christ to our own kin, to our own neighbors, and to the entire world. I've said it before, and I will say it again. It's going to be difficult. We may very well be mocked and scoffed at by the people we love the most. We may be rejected in our own hometowns. To put it bluntly, we will fail over and over and over and over and over and over again. Like Ezekiel, we may confront a crowd that refuses to hear us. We may find ourselves without honor in our homes, in our towns, in our nations. There are times when our message will sound like bad news. Times where it will sound as though Christ is calling for the powerful to be humble, the wealthy to give their riches away, for the well-fed to go hungry. There are going to be times where it sounds like we're calling people and ourselves to forsake the pleasures of earthly kingdoms for the joy of new life in God's kingdom. Because that's exactly what we're going to be doing. And yeah, that sounds like foolishness. It sounds like bad news of a bad deal. Because repentance is difficult. Repentance is so difficult that true repentance is only possible with God's grace. Who wants to admit that they've sinned in thought, word, and deed? And who wants to hear that message from the neighbor they've known for 30 years? Who wants to tell the person who knows their sins that they need to repent? But in the face of this challenging, difficult, foolish, impossible call, Consider the abundance promised to us through the resurrection. 
in the glory of the crucified Lord returned to life, we see the truth that in the face of our shortcomings, God's grace is sufficient. Consider the rich feast of our Lord's body and precious blood. Consider the grace given to us week after week. Consider the treasures of God's coming kingdom, the abundance of faith, hope, and love. Consider and know this. We are sent out to proclaim the gospel. You are sent out to proclaim the good news of the coming kingdom of God. We are all sent out with the message that we are free from fear, free from sin, free from death, free for truth, free for reconciliation, free for healing, free for the glorious work of God's kingdom. We can leave money belt and food and tunic behind because God has given us all that we need. Water, bread, and wine. God has given us rebirth into Christ's body through the blood of the Lamb. So, dear ones, go out to the places that welcome you and the places where people refuse to hear. Proclaim to them the coming kingdom. Be for them the body of Christ. Drive out the demons of fear, hate, and greed. Proclaim the good news of Christ's victory over sin and death. And as you go, do so in the assurance of God's grace. Amen.